Thank you, uh, worship team. What a wonderful song uh, to lead into this time we have together. Uh, thank you for being here with us today, uh, both online and uh, in the service today. From very young ages, we're often taught by our parents to share. Don't be selfish. Make sure you share your toys with your brother or sister. Or make sure you share the swing with the other children on the playground, because after all, they might want to use it as well. Similarly, in team sports, we're often taught that sharing possession is an important aspect of a game. An aspect that sometimes means that our team not only plays more cohesively together, but also means that we can perform better out on the field. Though I wasn't a fan of it in my younger years, as I've grown older, I have, to, I have grown more and more to enjoy sharing things with others. Sharing time with those I enjoy the company of. Sharing gifts with loved ones on special occasions. Sharing exciting news with those I am friends with. I think we can all agree that it feels good to share things with others. Even in our times of troubles, sharing our struggles and trials can help us work through certain situations. In our ever-connected society, we even have taken the sharing aspect to the next level with things like social media. People share all sorts of types of information, news, events, etc. They share this with people across the world, across the country. At Auburn, here we stream our services on Sunday mornings. Anyone across the globe can tune in on any given Sunday morning and share in what we do here. While sharing so many different things can be great and can make us feel good, there's definitely those things that are more worthy of sharing than others. As we heard read, Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 to 20, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I remember watching a video that a church made to depict the importance of sharing the gospel. The video showed someone out in the middle of a lake struggling to keep their head above water. This person, uh, as this person was struggling, another person walked by on the shore. They called out to the, to the struggling swimmer in the middle. The person yelled out something to the effect of, Hey, you look like you're putting in a lot of effort there. You're probably hungry. Here, have a hot dog and a pop. The, the person on shore then proceeded to throw a hot dog and a can of pop close to the struggling swimmer. The person on shore yelled, good luck, and walked away. Shortly after that, another person walking along the shore saw the struggling swimmer. They yelled out, hey man, you look pretty cold out there. You could use a jacket. The person then proceeded to throw a jacket out towards the struggling swimmer. 
They again yelled, good luck, and kept walking. Soon after, a third person walks by, seeing the the swimmer struggling. Upon seeing the distress, this person yelled out, hey, it looks like you might need to go get some swimming lessons. Here, I'll pay for them for you. The third person proceeded to throw a handful of coins towards the person in the water. Like the others before, yelled, good luck, and continued to walk down the shoreline. Finally, a fourth person walks down the shoreline. Upon seeing the person struggling to keep their head above the water, they yell out, that person needs saving, and they run and jump into the water, swimming out to the struggling swimmer and carrying them back to shore. See, this skit has always served as an interesting reminder to me of the things we can get caught up in as being Christians and even as part of the church. Now, don't get me wrong. There isn't anything bad about giving money to the poor or food or clothing to someone in need. But these things only take care of earthly needs of these people. While I do think it's important for us as Christians and the church as a whole to help people out in this sense, if we neglect to share the gospel above all, we really miss the mark with Jesus' words at the end of Matthew. But why is it that some of us don't want to share or find it hard to share our faith? I think one of the reasons why we might share, uh, shy away from this is because it can be difficult to overcome the idea that we potentially are judging people. In society we live in now, judging people is a big no-no. It's their own life after all. Who am I or who are you to tell somebody else how they should live? Who, who are we to tell somebody what they should believe? And so on and so forth. For some people, I'm sure there's a hesitancy to share our faith because they themselves don't have their lives all together and figured out. It's incredibly difficult to convince somebody to do something when you yourself have trouble doing it. Or, if you do do it, it doesn't seem to make much of a difference. Interestingly enough, these verses at the end of Matthew give us hope and encouragement for that very idea. In verse 16, we read, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Note, at this point, there were only eleven disciples. Now we have to remember that numbers had a very significant meaning for Jews at that time period. After all, Jesus specifically chose twelve disciples to symbolize, uh, as a symbol, rejecting the apostate Israel, which was composed of 12 tribes and reconstituting God's people around himself. Obviously, we know that at this point, there were only 11 disciples because Judas had hung himself. So there were 11 disciples, but you see, that's the problem. Biblically speaking, the number 11 is imperfect. It was an imperfect number. We also know that eventually there was a 12th disciple added to the group, Matthias, in Acts chapter 1. But this begs the question then, why didn't Jesus or the disciples add the 12th disciple before? 
Well, one idea for this may be because it furthers the theme that God, being a God who forgives, restores, and reestablishes sinful men as leaders of his imperfect church here on earth. A lesson for the disciples, and even for us, that Jesus sends an imperfect and fallible church into the world. But although the church and its people are imperfect and fallible, Jesus uses this church and its people for his perfect work. Yet another reason why we might shy away from sharing our faith could be a sense of, who am I to say someone is sinful? Who am I to say someone is in need of being saved? Oftentimes at my job, I have to ask different people from different departments for very important and sometimes confidential and private information. It's not uncommon for these people to do a double take and question me on these requests. After all, some weirdo they've never heard of from an investigation unit they're equally unaware of is asking them for some pretty important and private information. Every time I encounter these people that ask extra questions, I always joke with my boss that they should assign us some sort of badges like the police or FBI that we can flash when we ask for this information. Funny though my suggestion may be, it is true that for most people, if they were flashed a badge, they would feel at least somewhat more comfortable in giving over information. But why is that? Well, it's because this bat, the badges signify a sense of authority. Somehow, if this person has a shiny badge and ID card, they probably have some authority or power to be asking for said information. When it came to telling the disciples to go and share the gospel, I'm sure that some of them were thinking similarly to my thoughts at my job. They probably were concerned with people responding to them and asking, so what? What authority do you have to make such claims? After all, Jesus was similarly questioned about this. Jesus says in in these verses that he has all authority and he is the one telling the disciples to go out and share. Verses 18 to 19 said, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Interestingly enough, this also shows parallels to the beginning of Jesus' ministry this authority that he claimed to have. After Jesus' sermon on the mount, we read at the end of Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. Yet another very common reason why I think some don't share their faith is because they just don't think that they know enough. Rest assured that each person here and listening online knows quite enough at this very moment to be used by God to affect someone's life. It's important to remember that like the symbolism of a body, we are part of the body of Christ and have different functions and roles to play. I've shared before the story of a very smart Christian philosopher 
who, while on tour, was able to meet with a very famous evangelist. This evangelist would hold events where thousands of people would come. They would come out and listen to what she had had to say about her relationship with God. Night after night, she would have many people commit their lives to Christ at these events. To speak with someone who had so much influence would be such a great honor for this philosopher. And who knows, maybe he could get some tips on sharing the gospel, making his sharing more effective. After all, this evangelist was so talented at what she did. So they scheduled a time to meet, and the philosopher and his wife sat down with the evangelist. And he asked her, how do you prepare for your speeches each night? Thinking that there must be a large amount of work and preparation into these speeches that were so impactful night after night. The evangelist responded and said, oh, well, I usually just get up there and share what God has done for me in my life. This response took the philosopher by surprise, as you can imagine. After all, he had spent decades of his life researching and studying the Bible and theology. He had spent years of his life educating himself and countless hours writing scholarly papers and speeches. He had spent weeks at a time preparing for debates with atheists and skeptics alike. And here was this massively successful and impactful evangelist who just got up on stage and kind of winged it in comparison to what he did. And look at the massive impact she had made in so many people's lives. This response really threw a wrench into the way of his thinking. Somewhat discouraged, he discussed this interaction with a mentor of his. He outlined for his mentor how he felt as though he had wasted so much time of his life concentrating on studying. His his mentor wisely said to him, No, you haven't wasted anything. At some point in many of those people's lives, they will ask tough questions. Questions that may have the potential to shake their faith to the very core. When that day comes for some of those people, that's where you and what you do will be needed for God's plan. It's true, not everyone enjoys listening to lectures on the Trinity or early church history. It's also equally true that not everyone knows what complicated academic phrases such as the hypostatic union or eschatology mean. But that's okay, and I believe it's intended. I will be the first to admit that I am absolutely terrible at relating to more emotional issues and questions around Christianity. Emotional reasoning around issues such as suffering or how God could allow someone to go to hell just don't enter into the equation in my mind. I examine things logically, with emotions removed for the most part. But there are many people within the church, here and abroad, who fall on that side and who can offer some very good explanations that fall within the emotional side of reasoning as opposed to a more logical approach. I'm also not very skilled in the ability to take complicated subjects and bring them down to a level where young children can understand them. There are, however, many people I know that are extremely talented in teaching children 
no matter what the age is. You see, no matter how much or how little you think you know, you can still be used by God for his plan. One of my favorite verses, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter tells us that we are to always be ready to make a defense for the hope that we have. Notice that Peter doesn't say, make sure you know these reasons and then rattle off a list of things we need to memorize and recite on command when somebody asks. My reason might differ from your reason. And that's okay. We are different people. We have different experiences. And different paths have led us to God. The last point I want to touch on is the final statement of the verses in Matthew. Matthew, uh, in verse 20, it says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Along with this idea that we might not know enough in order to knowledgeably share our faith is the fact that it can be a rather isolating task. Let's be honest, Christian values and beliefs are not really the majority opinion out there in the world at this moment. When you're in the minority, it can definitely be daunting and scary to share your opinion. After all, we want to blend in. We want to be accepted. Though we might feel this way, we can and should take comfort in the words of Jesus here. I am with you always. Jesus is with us when we step out of our comfort zone and share our faith. To this point, I'm reminded of when the Apostle Paul was called to come speak in front of the Greek council. Uh, The Areopagus, or Mars Hill, as it was sometimes referred to, was the location where a group of leaders from Athens would meet. This gathering was very similar to the Jewish Sanhedrin, in that both groups were a collection of male leaders that were charged and responsible for exploring spiritual and philosophical ideas and questions. The group that met at Mars Hill was conservative, defending the status quo of how things were at the time. Sometimes this group would be treated as a court in the sense that it would settle disputes and conflicts on certain issues. The group at Mars Hill's focus would have mainly been to defend the Greek views and concept concept of the gods. This Greek view was in direct contradiction to what Paul held and taught around the area. When word of Paul's teaching reached the group, they requested his presence in order so that they could hear him present directly to them on what he was teaching and what he was saying. This would be similar to one of you being asked to present your view in the House of Commons in Ottawa or in front of the Supreme Court. Imagine how you would feel if you were asked to share your faith in those places, in front of all those influential people. No matter how learned you were or how much preparation you put in, 
I still think it would be a very terrifying and daunting aspect. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 34, we read, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that you are in every way very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold, silver, or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, uh, the Arapagite, and and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. You see, Paul knew that no matter who he shared the gospel with, whether it be a person in the synagogue or at the council on Mars Hill, that God would use him and what he said to further his plan and save people. You see, if Jesus is with us, as he says, then we don't have to worry about how much we know. If Jesus is with us, then we don't have to worry about having the right or perfect words and what to say. If Jesus is with us, he is there with us with his power and authority, and he will accomplish his plan in spite of our shortcomings and imperfections. As you go out from here today, I'd encourage you to pray for opportunities to share your faith. Pray that you recognize these opportunities when they are presented to you. And pray that you have the boldness that Paul had when he spoke to those on Mars Hill. Remember the words of Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, 
Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 